Good morning, everyone. Well, it was meant to be Pastor Andrew up here this morning giving the message today, but unfortunately, he broke his leg and he's still out of action. So, uh, so you're stuck with me, but I might pray for Andrew and, and pray for the message before we get into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us your word and that you feed us by your word and that you want to speak to us. And as we look at your word today, I pray that, that we would have an understanding of your presence, a revelation of who you are, that you would speak through me and that the, the words that are mine would fall to the floor, but the words from you would sit in our hearts. Lord, we lift up Andrew to you. We pray for a quick recovery for him. And as we look at the Lord's provision for Ruth and Naomi today, Lord, I pray that you would provide for Andrew in his healing and his recovery. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is our second installment in the book of Ruth. So please turn to Ruth chapter 2 if you have your Bibles or your devices. Before we read, though, let me give you a a recap on chapter 1. So I'm tempted to get one of the, the Spark kids up to give a recap on chapter one, because they, you guys knew your stuff. I'm very impressed. So we're, the setting is that we're in Bethlehem in the time of the Judges. And at the end of Judges, which this is about a generation after Israel entered the Promised Land, we read that everyone did as they pleased and that there was famine in the land. And due to this famine, Naomi moves to Boab, to Moab, Uh, And she moves with her husband, Elimelech, but tragedy strikes pretty quickly there, and her husband passes away. Uh, Her two sons marry Moabite women, but her two sons also pass away. So after 10 years in Moab, Naomi leaves uh, a widow uh, with two daughters-in-law and no son. Uh, One of the daughters-in-law stays in Moab. And one, Ruth, returns with Naomi. So Naomi returns to Bethlehem, empty and bitter. In her own words, she says that she went away full and she returned empty. Though we know this isn't entirely true, because Bethlehem was in famine when she left. She didn't really leave full. And she didn't really return empty. She returns with a loving, loyal and faithful daughter-in-law in Ruth. Last week, we looked at Naomi's perspective in comparison to Ruth's perspective. Amidst the grief, lament, and uncertainty of their loss, when they were pressed by tragedy and life circumstance, Naomi says, call me Mara, which means bitter. Ruth, rather than withdrawing from Naomi when she had the opportunity to, chooses to commit to her unconditionally. The takeaway for me from last week is that when we are pressed by life, the stories that we tell ourselves can compound and spiral into bitterness, obstructing the hope and grace of God that is present. And the good antidote for bitterness is empathy and gratitude as we focus on God. So now in chapter 2, Naomi and Ruth have returned, and it appears that they have nothing. But the last verse of chapter 1 gives us some hope that they had each other and that the harvest was coming. So Ruth chapter 1 at verse 22 says, Now Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And then chapter 2 starts, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, 
a man of standing in the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, if a move to Moab away from the promised land was a metaphor of walking out from under the blessings and protections of God's promises, then a return to Bethlehem is a return to God's people and his promises, even if it is made out of desperation and last resort. And when they return, they return to fields of grace. In the town of Bethlehem, the house of bread, the grain is now growing again. Naomi and Ruth, however, are still in a desperate situation. They are hungry, they have no food, they have no means of income. But friends, where God has made promises or provision, we can go with expectation. And that's exactly what Ruth does. Here God has made provision. It's not necessarily a specific provision for Ruth, but a general provision for those in need. You see, even in the structures and the systems set up by the law, God makes provision for those in need. Hope is not lost, for there was provision in the law for needs such as theirs. Leviticus 19 says that the harvesters are to leave the edges of the fields and the gleanings from their harvest for the poor and sojourner to collect. By this it means that the bits that they didn't pick up when they were harvesting, the bits that fell to the ground, they were to leave and not go back and collect. This is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Now, this was not an easy handout. It feels to me a bit like an ancient version of someone without an income collecting cans to take to the return and earn to get a little bit of money to buy dinner. It wasn't easy, but it was something. It was a provision for the poor and for the foreigner, of which Ruth was both. Now, as a Moabite woman, she had no reason to find favour. But Ruth goes out to glean grain with an expectation of finding grace and favor in the field. At verse 2, she says to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And here, from my reading, we have a glimpse of the gospel, of the good news, that Ruth went looking for favor. But as a widow and a foreigner... She had no reason to expect it. By grace, without merit, by nothing of our own standing, we too find favor in God. This is grace. When we were foreign to God, he welcomes us and shows his favor. So in chapter 2 at verse 3, we read that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the clan of Elimelech. Now, your translation might say where I read happened to come. It might say as it turned out or by chance. A literal translation of this is her chance chanced upon Boaz's field. But let me assure you there is no chance or luck in this situation. The term chance is used here ironically. It is overemphasized to make you ask, was it really luck that she came across Boaz's field? And according to Bloch in his commentary, he says, it's as if the author is screaming, see the hand of God at work here. 
The same hand that sent the famine in chapter 1, verse 1, and later provided food in chapter 1, verse 6, is the hand that brought Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem precisely at the beginning of the harvest in chapter 1, verse 22, has now guided Ruth to that portion of the field belonging specifically to Boaz. Here, Ruth happened to end up in the field of a relative of her late father-in-law. Though it's not mere coincidence or simply luck, this is God's providence. So God provides generally for Ruth and Naomi with a provision in the law, and God provides specifically for Ruth and Naomi by leading Ruth to Boaz's field, who was not only kind and generous, but who we find out is actually a relative. And God's provision here is not just for a hungry widow looking for food. God has something bigger in mind. He is working out his plan for his people. He is bringing a foreigner into the family, a foreigner who would be an ancestor of Jesus. So Boaz arrives, and after discovering who Ruth is, he has this conversation with her. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter. I'll just pause there to say he had no reason to call her my daughter. We have a Moabite woman who's there begging for food, essentially, and he refers to her as my daughter. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I've told the man not to lay a hand on you. I think this is the first workplace safety or sexual harassment policy in the Old Testament. Whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. Again, we see something countercultural here. The men drank from the water jars that the women filled, but here Boaz says to Ruth, drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed her face to the ground and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about you and what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland to come and live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here again we see the grace of God, even more abundant than Ruth could have anticipated. Instead of just addressing her as a Moabite, an outsider, he addresses her as daughter, an affectionate, inclusive term that indicates not only acceptance but some sort of responsibility for her. When you seek refuge or redemption in God, He will never treat you as an outsider or a foreigner. God will call you daughter and grant you favor. As the father welcomes the prodigal son, he will treat you as a son and run to you with open arms. So why did Boaz show favor? Maybe because he is a godly man. Maybe because he's aware of the family connections with Ruth and Naomi. Maybe the favor is because of the favor shown to his mother, Rahab, who when she was a foreigner found favor by in faith protecting the spies at Jericho. But to be honest, we don't know. We can just see that this is God's provision. 
And then at the end of their conversation, Boaz prays a blessing over Ruth. After explaining that he knew how she had showed kindness and faithfulness to her mother-in-law, Boaz says in verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love this picture of God, of a mother hen or an eagle giving its chicks shelter under the protection of its wings. And after seeing God's provision already for Naomi and Ruth, I have no doubt that the Lord will provide Ruth's shelter and refuge. But I don't think that Boaz realizes at this point that in showing kindness and favor to Ruth, he is already answering his own prayer. He is providing refuge for Ruth and Naomi. Boaz was already answering his own prayer. And I wonder sometimes if God calls us to act in order to bring about his good work that we're already praying for. I mean, I can pray for my kids to grow in the Lord, but I can also teach them and exemplify what it is to walk in a real rich relationship with Jesus. I can pray for those in need, but I can also provide them with resources. I can pray and I can also be working towards being used by God to answer those very prayers. Now, I'll just say as a disclaimer here that I was critical of Naomi and Elimelech for taking things into their own hands rather than relying on God in the last chapter when they moved away from God's people and promise to relocate to Moab. But I think the difference here is that Naomi and Elimelech were walking away from the things of God to do things in their own strength. Whereas I think here Boaz is simply acting out the kindness and compassion and justice that God has called for his people. And when you walk in the ways that are led by the Spirit, you might just be an answer to prayer, or God might use you to meet someone else's needs. So we continue at verse 13. May I continue, this is uh, Ruth speaking. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left after she had eaten enough. Here it's clear that Boaz has been kind and gracious and showed favor to Ruth. He goes beyond what is required in the law to allow her to glean in the field. Though by her own admission, she's lower than his slaves, he invites her to eat with him at his table. And he asks his workers to care for her and give her extra. He treated her with the respect and honor of a significant person, not a poor foreign widow. 
Now, I said this goes beyond the law regarding gleaning in the field, which we read in Leviticus 19. But if you go on a few verses in Leviticus 19 to verse 15, the law says this, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And this is exactly what Boaz has done. He has treated Ruth as a fellow human, as a child of God, rather than by her class or status as a foreigner and a widow. And I think the point of application here, for me anyway, is to see all people as worthy of respect, favor, and honor. If we are kind to strangers as Boaz was to Ruth, then I think this world would be a better place and we would see the realities of the kingdom of God more readily. So Ruth returns to Naomi from her gleaning under the favor of Boaz with an ephah of grain. And you probably don't pick up the abundance of this unless you read the footnote or you were listening to Georgie's quiz earlier. That an ephah of grain is about 30 pounds or 13 kilos. That is a lot of grain. I used to bake sourdough bread and we would buy baker's flour in five kilo bags. And I can assure you that a five kilo bag is heavy enough and it lasts long enough. I remember once thinking that I could walk back to the car without a trolley with my five kilo bag of flour and I very quickly regretted that decision. But here Ruth has carried 13 kilos home and shared it with Naomi. I can assure you that there was plenty of grain left over after they had baked their bread that day. And do you remember Naomi's complaint when she returned from Moab? She said, I left full and I returned empty. Well, here, by God's grace, not only is she full, but she has more than enough. God has blessed her with abundance. And in a kingdom economy, God gives to us in gracious abundance, more than we deserve. And when it comes to your belonging to God's family, there is an overflow of grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in the, in the Passion Translation, it says this, Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace, so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing that you do. And in Ephesians chapter 3, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And then in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And in John chapter 1, out of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. I think these verses refer to our spiritual state, our spiritual hunger that is more than fed. But I think that these verses, you could also read back into the story of Ruth and see how God has given in abundance more than they could have asked or imagined, more than they could need. And as I mentioned last week, this is not only a picture of God's grace, but a picture of the one who would fully embody his grace. Do you see the parallels to Jesus here? Who said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I see that as a, a picture where Ruth goes to Boaz and she walks away and she's not hungry. Or when Jesus feeds the crowd with five loaves and 12 fishes, he fed a multitude and there are still 12 baskets left over. Ruth was fed and there was an abundance left over. 
You see, no matter our circumstances or the emptiness that we might feel, there is abundant life to be found in Jesus and in his kingdom. Reading on from verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until, until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Here we have another provision from the law the idea of a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer. And it's found in Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25. Uh, But Nancy Guthrie summarizes this principle well. She says, By one of our redeemers, Naomi means that because Boaz is a close relative, he could fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer as provided for in the law God gave Moses. A redeemer acted as a protector, defender, avenger, rescuer, for other members of the family, especially in situations of threat, loss, poverty, or injustice. When a family member fell into poverty and had to sell his land, the kinsman redeemer could buy it back and restore it to the family so that it stayed within the family. And when a family member died without an heir, the kinsman redeemer could marry the widow with the aim of producing an heir, not for himself, but for the dead husband. And this last situation is the situation that Ruth is in. And this is the hope that Naomi now sees. Again, this is God's provision for Naomi and Ruth. Though I do point out that Naomi says here that the the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, which is quite a contrast to the previous chapter where she said that she was empty and bitter and that the Lord had caused this situation. But here we see God's provision, and now Naomi can see it, and she has hope. So in Ruth chapter 2, we see God's provision for Naomi and Ruth. We see God's provision through the structures in the law and the community of Israel that God had ordained, with the right to take grain left in the fields and the provision of a kinsman redeemer. We see God's provision through people, particularly through Boaz, who showed favour to Ruth and provided her with food and a safe place to work and treated her with respect and honour. We see God's provision through divine intervention that Ruth was led by chance to the fields of Boaz, who would not only be gracious to her, but who turns out to have a responsibility as family to care for her. And I think that this is also a picture of God's provision for us. God shows favour and is at work in so many different ways in our life. God is providing for us in so many ways, even if we don't see it like Naomi didn't see it at first. And just as Boaz the Redeemer is a picture of God's provision of a Redeemer, Jesus 
has come to redeem you and me. We have hope in Jesus as our Redeemer. So this week, I encourage you to look for God's provision around you, for the systems and structures that he is using to provide, for the favour that he is showing you, for the chance moments or encounters that he is using, for the people that he brings across your path, and to be grateful for his favour and his provision in your life. But I also encourage you to look out for the ways that God could use you to provide for others for the systems and the structures that you could influence or change, for the favour that you could show towards others, for the chance moments or encounters where God could use you, for the people who come across your path for whom you might be God's provision and show empathy, compassion and generosity the way that Boaz did to Ruth. Let me pray. King Jesus, we thank you for your grace and love, your favour and provision for us. And we thank you for the picture that we have of that in Boaz and his care for Ruth. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the ways in which you are providing for us, the ways in which you are showering your love and blessing and favours upon us. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the ways in which we can be your provision to others where we can show your favour and grace and extend your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.